Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. On today's episode, I'm going across the pond again, so to speak, to Sweden. And today I have Frederick Pollen on the call. And he is one of Sweden's leading nutritionists since the 90s and is also a leading health entrepreneur over in Sweden. He is an internationally best-selling author. He's the author of more than 20 books. And the next one he's putting out, I believe it's coming out next year, right, uh, Frederick, is yeah. about red light therapy. So of course, I had to have him on the call. And he is constantly on top of his busy schedules looking into new ventures that would fit his entrepreneurship focused on health, nutrition, and sustainability. And so I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit more, Frederick. But regardless, welcome to the Red Light Report. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule and and joining us. Thank you, Mike. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, so I think our paths crossed on LinkedIn, wasn't it? Kind of the wonderful world of social media where we connected. Yeah, I actually found your podcast first. Mm. So I was listening to it. It was the only podcast focused on red light therapy. And I can tell you, it was like three years ago when I met this uh, medical doctor, huge respect for, um, and he's quite open-minded to be uh, this kind of uh, scientific guy. We had been lunch, actually, and he was leaning forward to me, and, and almost like he was going to tell me a secret. And I asked, Frederick, have you heard about red light therapy? And I had never heard about it before. So for me, it was like, no, okay, tell me about it. And when he started to tell me about it and show the, the science behind it, I was blown away, actually. It was, uh, it was like uh, opening a new dimension because I've been working with nutrition for 25 years plus. Um, I've been working with some physical activity, exercises, kind of things. Sleep, of course, is important. We know about this. But light, I mean, it's quite amazing. And and when you look at light, um, the the photons in light and from the sun and so on, we can see clear patterns. I mean, in Sweden, most people die in the the month of December. Why? It's the darkest month of the year. And less people uh, die in the um, actually month of June. That's the most light. The sun is shining most in June of all the months of the year. So there are some clear evidence here. And I I know, because I, I live even further north than, than you, um, that this is a tricky thing, actually, to get the light in wintertime. I can see this, uh, these panels uh, that you have and the, the panels um, uh, that are spreading around the world now. They could be one of the solutions um, because there's typically two wavelengths, um, as the listeners know, the red and the infrared light uh, that, that activates the, the chromophores in the mitochondria. And that's, that's where the magic happens. So I think that if you can, can get that, I think some of the problems are solved, actually. Yeah, and along with your point to the northern latitudes, I, I didn't know that specifically about the months, but I guess it does make sense, especially when you combine it with the research showing the higher you go in latitude, there's like an exponential increase in suicidal rates. And I think that, again, speaks to the lack of light and the lack of the nutrition that we derive from the photons from that full spectrum light, uh, let alone red and near infrared light. But give us give us a little more background into yourself before we really dig into red light therapy, Frederick. You you kind of glossed over a big portion of your light really in, in the nutrition space. So how did you kind of get into that? What did you do? And how did that all manifest to where you are right now? You said that you're publishing a red light therapy book next year. And then 
kind of dig into what you have going on over there in Sweden relative to red light therapy products. Yeah, sure. My interest started actually way back when I was around five years old, because uh, then 1975, it was my mother was diagnosed with uh, MS, uh, multiple sclerosis. And back then we had no medicine. I mean, it was only like cortisone. That was the only thing you can could use. So she was swollen. She was very, very sick. And in the winter times, she got really, really sick. So she went into the hospital like in December, January, February. Then she could get out again when the sun came. We didn't know about the sun connection then, but but now we know. And I realized that my parents taught me that nutrition is important. You should eat this and that. They didn't know so much about it. Today, I could actually make a really, really good diet for her if she was alive. So that meant that I was taught at an early age that food is important. And I think I was the first kid on my street that ate olive oil and the chickpeas. It was quite rare in those days. So I started to realize I was very interested in it. But I think it was when I was in my early teens, I really got into it because then I started to exercise too much. It was like bodybuilding and martial arts and, and of course, running and also badminton, all, everything. It was just probably was a way for me to, to handle my anxiety when it comes to my mother and situation and everything. So I was exercising as a drug, actually. But it, it taught me something. It taught me that if I ate a lot of carbs before I was running, I could actually run a bit faster. If I ate more protein during the month, for example, like 30 grams extra protein every day, I was gaining muscle, like two to three kilos. So I realized that nutrition was actually a really, really effective tool into changing your body. So I realized I, I, I need to get into deeper into this. I need to learn more. I, I need to get proper education. So I was actually joining Karolinska Institute and started to study nutrition. So I got my master of science in nutrition back in '95. And after that, my entrepreneurship started to, to kick in as well. So I was lecturing a lot. I was writing books even then. And then around the year 2000, I had this book that was called All About the Glycemic Index. Nobody knew about it. It's like, like red, red light. Actually, this is the same feeling I have now for red light therapy as I had then for the glycemic index. And in short, I can just tell the listeners who don't know about the glycemic index. It's about how your body responds to the carbs you eat. So high glycemic index foods, they give a blood sugar spike, a lot of insulin. It's bad for you because you're going to age faster. The risk of obesity will increase. The risk of cardiovascular disease will increase. All bad things. I mean, so, that, um, that's one of the big pros about the ketogenic diet, right? Is it kind of levels out that roller coaster of your blood sugar going up and down. The keto kind of keeps it tight. I think the humans actually made for some semi-keto uh, diet because we should eat carbs, but eat the carbs that are actually digested in your colon, like starchy carbs that has a lot of fibers, like the carrots, for example. You get little in your intestines, some blood sugar, but very, very little. And then get more of the absorption further down your intestinal like channel. And um, what I knew then was that if you had two pieces of bread, white or brown with kernels, there were two completely different responses in the blood. But nobody believed me. It was so crazy. They, don't want, they didn't want to even publish my book. And so I was a bit uh, angry, actually, because I published a couple of books before. But this is the most important. So I, I um, decided to do it myself. So I started this uh, publishing house, uh, and it was so hard in the beginning. It's always hard when you don't know how. Uh, but um, I did it. Uh, so 
that book sold over quarter million of copies all around the world. So that, it was a good thing. It started out my entrepreneur side, actually. So I got, got some capital when I sold the publishing company. I got into new ventures like nutritional supplements uh, and so on. But the biggest thing I've done in Sweden is actually establishing uh, Paulun's uh, food, health foods. Uh, and I think we're the leading brand in Sweden and probably in Norway and Denmark and, and Finland as well. And I know the Baltic states also. Uh, and that goes very well. Uh, so I, I'm a good partner in that. So I think that in, in my time of life now, when I wrap it up and I look back, back uh, on my mother's disease, uh, I can see there are new science coming. I start to learn about red light therapy. This is what I'm going to focus on because I don't know everything about nutrition, far from. But I know so much that... It, it's still exciting, but the red light therapy is its really exciting. It's revolutionary, I would say. I predict that in 10 to 15 years, this will be like the glycemic index was back then. It's something everybody's talking about, understanding. It's going to be a big thing. Everybody's going to have one of those lamps at home, or at least have access to it somewhere, because we need it. We need the light. So when did you first hear about red light therapy? When did that person kind of tell you about it and it kind of sparked your interest? How many years ago was that? It was three years ago. I actually saw it um, on this uh, health summit in London back in September 19. It was before the pandemic. I saw it. I saw some some panels, but I didn't believe in it. It was like 50% of the things uh, shown there on this summit. It was fine, it was maybe, maybe even effective, but most of it was actually not really uh, scientifically based. But I started to, to write and read about it. After I met the Tobion, uh, this this uh, guy, this researcher, uh, because he was so convincing, and he had the science, he could show me all the references, and he also actually had a speech about this, like a lecture, one to one. So we had like uh, two hours just talking about this, and I was blown away, as I say. And especially when you look at, at the, the risk of getting certain diseases, like uh, let, let's have MS again. There's virtually no cases of multiple sclerosis at the equator. It's really, really rare. But it, it increases like you, like this, when you, when you go south or north. And the same with a lot of cancers, uh, like ovarian cancer. I've seen maps over the states. It's very, very clear, actually. But then when you come to states that are quite uh, elevated, quite high up, like two, 3,000 meters over the ocean, it decreases because of the light. So it's quite interesting, topography, and also in respect to the equator actually counts. You can see it with the blood pressure, you can see the cholesterol and so on. So it is really convincing. And right now, I would like to live at the equator, but I can't because I have my family here, I have my business here, and I love Sweden. The only country actually I could think about living in is America, and the US, because I've been there a lot. I've been in California for months, and I love it there. But otherwise, I think this is so revolutionary. And my, actually, my work my job is to be a generalist so i take the science and try to actually get it out to the people who needs this i've, I've done a quite good job so far with the carbs and so on but now this is actually big it's a big mission and there are some problems with it because it's too hard to believe that's why so so from a journalist perspective what information are you looking at what you know what research are you reading and then how are you digesting that synthesizing it well, of course, the, the book's not out yet, but is the ultimate goal to make that book a red light therapy book, both for the scientific people and kind of in layman's terms, so everyone can learn about it and kind of get some belief behind the red light therapy could improve their health and, and wellness? Yeah, yeah, I would say that the book actually reaches itself for everybody, because even people, I talked to this particle physicist, his work is wavelength and, and, and the photos and all these things, but he never heard about this. 
So even he, who, who is an expert, a really, really um, that's crazy. Regarded expert, it is crazy, and he's into the health business. He has another business, um, so he, he's into health, and he's very, very knowledgeable and very good guy. Uh, but he never heard about this, so I had to to, uh, to tell him and show him all the references. Now, now he knows. But that means that my book is going to be uh, filled with references. I'm going to have like two hundred, three hundred, only on human subjects because there are like now seven thousand studies, I think both in, in in vitro and, and all these things that it's interesting, but I'm not going to use it. I'm just going to use the more heavily impacting science. The book is going to be um, about the science, the diseases, uh, how you can optimize your health, but also my, my personal story about it. Because, I, I have, of course, I'm, I'm a human. Uh, I need this. I, I can see the effects. I, I can use it on, on friends that have diseases. I can use it. And, and as a person, I'm, I'm just going to report about this. And it, it's... Uh, so it's going to be my personal story, and also uh, I'm going to try to collect all the science around it and make it really trustworthy. And uh, my goal is just to sell a million copies, uh, and that's not because I want the money. I want it to to reach out, and probably we want to distribute it uh, for free as an ebook a lot, just to get it out. Um, so that's my way to do it. But I also try to every time a journalist interviews me, it happens almost every day. I mention this, so I try to slowly, slowly get it into the DNA of the health thinking, because you can't talk health without talking light. Agreed. I think that's one of the least talked about aspects of health, of course, is light. And it wasn't really in my scope or, or mindset until I got into red light therapy myself about three, three and a half years ago. So up to that point, I was all about the exercise. Now it's all about the nutrition to a certain degree sleep. You know, I was just kind of getting out of graduate school at that point, but it was reading and learning about light and the science. I'm really science driven. And it was the same thing with meditation in a way. It wasn't until I read a book by Joe Dispenza where he took this seemingly esoteric concept. And I think it's kind of like light for that for some people because light's invisible. How could it possibly impact me? So for meditation, I was like, okay, there's this thing where, you know, if I call my mind or if I do something, potentially good things can happen. But it's tough to believe unless there's science behind us. That's my point. The Joe Dispenza book, he pulls that seemingly esoteric aspect of meditation, but then he also brings a hard science. And when I read that book, I was like, aha, there's no way I can't do meditation. If there's these benefits that are on the other side, that's proven by research. I mean, it's proven time and time again, and not just some small case reports. It's like Joe Dispenza himself was doing these mass pieces of research with thousands of people. So anyway, back to the point here is, I think light is similar to that where it's invisible of course red light is red but like near infrared and that kind of stuff it's invisible so it's how could how could that possibly truly impact my health but when you look at the thousands and thousands of pieces of research whether it's red light therapy or even different types of photodynamic therapy or even using uv light to decrease seasonal affective disorder i think you read enough of this research or even if you have friends or family that have these vast improvements via light then you start to get some buy-in. But it is a very slow process, Frederick. And I think we've talked about this before the recording today and on our call last week. How do you get people to believe in something that's kind of out there, so to speak? Even though the research is there, you're you're going out of your way to provide some amazing information and, and get the word out. I'm doing what I can on my end to get the word out through through my ebook, through this podcast, through doing in-person presentations as well. But how can we as a community or as a whole get red light therapy out to the masses, not again, not to make money, but to improve their lives, to get them to understand that darn near everyone, I don't know anyone that could not benefit from red light therapy. There's, there's a time and a place for it in everyone's life, even if you're healthy. 
from a longevity standpoint. So how can we get this word out quicker? How can we perpetuate that? Because even in the three years I've been doing this, it's improved. But I think that's because I'm so ingrained in the community. It just seems like it's growing. I'm just surrounded by it constantly. So I almost assume just by being in my little world that most people know about it. But I know it's a very small sliver of people that actually have ever heard of red light therapy. So that's a long-winded way of saying, what can we do to get the word out quicker to improve and impact people's lives? You should do what you do. I mean, this is great. I found you through Googling about podcasts about red light therapy, and people will find this. And I'm going to mention your podcast in the book. I hope to interview you as well. So we have to spread it together, I think. That's the the thing. It's like a teamwork. My strongest feeling about red light is to let people try it. Let people borrow a panel for a week. Maybe just for one one session. Some studies actually show effects of the one session when it comes to pain relief and this kind of things. And it is amazing. Many people just try it and feel that something is happening in their bodies. They can feel it. It's hard to describe what's happening, but it's like sitting in the sun. Everybody loves it. We are sun seekers. And the same feeling you get from this web panel. So I think that to let people try it out. And I'm actually going to be in four different fairs this fall in Sweden. The biggest fairs in fitness, uh, beauty, health, uh, organic food, these kind of things. And we're going to be putting a lot of, of panels there, just to let people try. Um, maybe five or ten panels at the same time. Um, so I think let people try. That's my, my strong opinion. And then, of course, spread the word. Talk about it when you're at the dinner. And try to introduce it in a good way. And if they, if they think that you're talking about some nonsense, of course, back off. But otherwise, if they are taking it in, just talk about it. So if there's someone that's brand new, whether you just like meet them at one of these conferences or like a friend or family member who's never heard of it at the dinner table, how do you explain it to them in like 15 to 30 seconds to kind of get them hooked in or or interested? Actually, they know I'm into, into health. I'm, I'm, I'm a health guy. I'm, I think 82% of the Swedes know about me. But there are studies about that. Or the people who make my, my food, they have all these facts and figures. So I'm pretty well known in Sweden. So I was actually at the dinner last Friday. So the people to talk about their problems. Some guy had some kind of joint problems. There was one, one girl, she was she had this inflammation and her system things going on. So it's quite easy, actually. But when it comes to people who are reluctant to believe in this, it's much harder. And, and I think there's no point trying to persuade them that this, this is the thing. Sometimes when I post things on the internet, I get really almost rude comments that this is just crap and they do all these bad comments about it. And I try to be calm, I try to explain, but usually I just back off because they're not ready yet. I don't want to, to compare this to religion. But it is, uh, in some point, the same thing, that if you realize something, start to believe in something, it's hard to back. You can't, you can't unbelieve this, because you have seen it. It's, it's for real. Um, so I think that um, we should uh, let it take time. We should use all the channels we have, like books and, and the podcasts and, and the lectures, whatever, and talk to people. That's the only way to do it. And then, of course, if people doesn't want to be reached, we can't do anything about it. We can't force them. No, I agree. If people aren't ready, you can't force it upon them. It's just like butting heads. You have to allow them time. Maybe they'll never be ready, or maybe it'll just take dozens of times of them being exposed to people talking or posting about red light therapy. Then they'll get intrigued or, like you said, feel it to believe it, whether they hear it from a friend or a family member. Maybe they get some buy-in there. But yeah, it's tough to force people to believe in something if they're just not ready. For yourself, Frederick, have you used red light therapy to to really treat or heal anything or... Do you use it on a consistent basis just for general health and wellness? 
It's an important part of my life, actually. Every morning when I get up, I get my, my coffee, I, I get my cell phone, uh, my reading glasses, and sit in front of my, my panel for like 20 minutes. Like half of the time uh, on the backside, and half on, on the front. So I actually reach the whole body. And it makes me wake up. It makes me really creative. I, I can really, I can really feel this sensation. And it's the same feeling I had in June and July when the sun is shining. It's exactly the same thing. I just get the sun all year round thanks to the panels. And sometimes I get pain, maybe in the shoulder or knee or something. Then I use the local effect as well and try to, to really focus the, the inner, near infrared light on that part because it's pain relieving and it's healing. And sometimes actually, if I would have had some surgery, I had some, some minor surgery before, and then I used it only the, the near infrared just to leave pain. I didn't, I didn't use any painkillers at all. I didn't need it. It was a small thing, but it still, it was really interesting to see. It worked so well. And then my skin in the wintertime, usually I get this really flaky red skin. It's, it's, it's really bad. It looked like a, a lizard or something. And it helped a lot. That was the first thing I noticed when I, I was in, in wintertime, not flaking anymore because I used the lamp. Uh, so now I use it. My wife uses it. Uh, even the kids sometimes, even if I, it's just a feeling that I want them to know what they're doing before I really treat them. But sometimes they sit in front of it. And I have like four kids from five to 12. So they're quite, they're quite young. But they, they like it and they think it's funny. For me, like a 52-year-old, I feel my, my body needs this to, to keep young and to keep working uh, well. Definitely. Um, what are some anecdotes, if any, that you have of other people you've recommended it to or friends? Like, have they had any relatively miraculous, you know, healing or improvements in anything? Yeah, actually, I think the most interesting anecdote is a person that goes with the worst result she could ever ask for. And the only person, only actually a sports activity that shouldn't use this. And she was a freediver. And she's Sweden's, I think Sweden's best freediver. And she's down at like 200 feet below the water without any tubes or anything. It's extreme. Wow. Um, and she noticed that when she uses this lamp um, with red and infrared light, she can actually hold her breath for like 30% a shorter time. So that's catastrophe for her. But for a person who wants this uh, ATP to be produced, who wants this metabolic enhancement, that's the great thing. But I think it's quite, quite funny. Um, There's at least one like sport, the way you should use it. Otherwise, um, everybody who uses it have positive things to say. I have actually one, one relative um, that uses it, but she doesn't really notice anything. But she also has darker skin, so maybe she needs another time for using it, maybe longer, maybe other frequencies. I think the science doesn't really show this yet, but I think that there are probably different protocols depending on your melanin content in your skin. And also, if you like uh, uh, Caucasian and they have a lot of sunburn, I mean, you really, really tanned. Probably you need it uh, also for a longer time and maybe different uh, wavelengths or so. But otherwise, I think everybody who tries it, they can feel that the back pain is gone or at least decreased. Um, they see the skin is better. But my, my um, business partner, nutritionist as well, his mother ha- had her hip replaced. And she's like this typical sixty-year-old uh, lady, a bit obese, uh, doesn't really care so much about her appearance. But people started to, to ask her, why, "Why are you so glowing? And you look so much better." Well, because she used this lamp um, during her her time after surgery, and it affected her whole body, and she actually looked better. So it, it's quite funny. People can notice a difference, and we everybody everybody looks uh, usually quite tired and, and quite. Uh, 
we don't look our best in the wintertime, and that could change. So that, that's something people really notice. All right, guys, as I promised, I am going to be offering you guys an exclusive 15% discount for the pre-sale order of The Matrix. Uh, like I spoke about earlier, this is a groundbreaking, innovative, patent-pending piece of technology from BioLite. It is literally a full-body red light therapy mat. You heard that right, a mat. It's a quarter of an inch thick. You can roll it up like a yoga mat. It has over 2,100 LEDs, and like all BioLite, light products, you have the option of choosing red and near-infrared light combo, red light only, or near-infrared light only. The dimensions are 69 inches by 34 inches, so you can either lay on it full body, cover it on top of your body like a blanket, roll up a section of your body, let's say your abdomen or one of your legs or one of your arms or a third or half of your body at once, roll yourself up like a bean burrito, and literally give yourself a 360 degree red light therapy treatment. And more or less, you can think of this mat, the matrix, as the next phase of red light therapy. Because right now, everyone has panels, and there's a time and place for that. But I think now is the time for innovation and moving the needle forward on red light therapy technology. This red light therapy mat, the matrix, roll it up, you can sit on it, you can stand on it, you can lay on it, you can roll yourself up. It's extremely versatile. It's easy to take on the go, so you're not just bound to hanging it up on a door or a wall. It's very easy to take on the go, put it in the corner of your room, so takes up minimal room in your house. The options are endless. Really, you guys, my loyal podcast audience, I'm going to offer you guys a 15% discount through pre-sale, which will be through the majority of October. So for the next three or four weeks from the recording of this podcast, you can get 15%. And the discount code is simply podcast. So go to biolight.shop, check out the matrix. If you want this exclusive 15% discount, simply use coupon code podcast at checkout to receive that discount. And I know you guys are going to absolutely love this game-changing product, the matrix. Interesting. Kind of to circle back to the, the diver, why would it inhibit her ability to hold her breath? Or why would it decrease her capabilities? Actually, I asked the two my mentor, this, this uh, doctor from three years ago, and he had a really good explanation. I can mail it to you. <laughs> it's going to be in my book as well. Um, uh, but but he, he was actually, I asked him first, do you think it's going to enhance or, or decrease her capacity? Will it, will it make her a better freediver? And he didn't really know. See, he thought it was a really interesting case. But th- those freedivers, they know everything about every gram they eat, every, every uh, minute they spend in the water, and every second that they can hold their breath. They are really perfectionists. So she could clearly say that this stuff doesn't work for me. But in the off season, when she has more uh, training like for, for building physique and these kind of things, then it might work, might work. But it would be actually dangerous for her to use it during competition. Interesting. Do you know if she uses something like hyperbaric oxygen chambers? I don't know, actually. I, I, I know her a little bit, but I'm not into uh, her training routine and all these things. But, but probably, because she's actually she's in, in the, the top uh, like five women in the world. Wow. So I think she actually has some kind of record in the Guinness Book of World Records as well. You brought up a good point a little bit back, Frederick, about the skin melanin content affecting your dosage. And to your point, there's no research, at least that I've come across, that specifically says, you know, if you have darker skin, you need this much more. If you have lighter skin, you need this few relatives speaking. That's a good point, because just like out when you're out in the, the sun, how long does it take for you to get a sunburn? Well, if it's pretty quick, 
I would hazard a guess it takes less of a dosage of red light therapy to get the same result as someone who's tan, to your point, or dark skinned. Uh, they would take the most dosage or the highest dosage to attain the same result as that person with lighter skin. Um, again, I have you seen any research indicating that or what are your thoughts? Uh, actually, I asked Vladimir Heiskanen, this Finnish researcher, about this. Uh, I was interviewing him for my book as well. And he didn't know either. It is not really much um, research around it, but he had some contacts. Uh, and he asked, asked them because they are doing a lot of research that, that's never published. And he could say that they see a difference. If you have a darker skin, you probably need a, a different protocol. I didn't get the details, but, but probably longer, maybe more near infrared because it will penetrate even if you have melanin. But I, I don't know, actually. And so this uh, really news, new report also about difference between men and women. Uh, that was really interesting. Uh, this, this seems to be a difference in the men and women in that men has thicker uh, skin and different, uh, what you call bindvær. It's uh, the stuff, amnesia uh, skin, uh, cartilage, is it? What is it called? Uh, collagen? Just, uh, yeah, collagen. And it's thicker collagen structures. And women actually get the light further into the bodies. There's a smaller difference between the red light and near-infrared light when it comes to women. For men, it's very typical. We have like two, three centimeters inside your body with the red light and up to 15 centimeters with the near-infrared light if you're not pulsing it and you get a little further. But there seems to be a difference there. But I don't, you don't have to change your protocol because of it. I don't think so. But there, there are some differences and it's good to know. So me and my wife, we, we use the same lamp, we use the same time, and we both feel great about it. And as you usually say in your podcast, you need to get in the sweet spot. I mean, it's a maximal effect and a minimal let's say, side effects, even if you don't get really side effects. You lose the effect. That, that's what's happening. And I think that it's quite a big sweet spot here. So I don't think you have to really worry as much about it. But it's interesting. It's a nice fact in a way. No, I agree. It's a pretty big sweet spot. But what you're saying is potentially on a spectrum of needing less for the same result versus needing more for the same result, a fair-skinned female may take the least amount of dosage, relatively speaking, compared to, let's say, a male dark-skinned person. They would require much more based on their melanin content and potential thickness. Again, this is just postulating at this point, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say uh, that, that it's, um, it's uh, um, plausible. But one more thing that I'm thinking about, I haven't seen any research about it, but that's actually your... Uh, redox status. I mean, how much antioxidants do you have in your body uh, when you use the lamp? Because one of the effects is like this hormetic stressor effect. You get uh, the light, uh, you will start to produce these uh, free radicals, and that will do a lot of good things. But still, it can uh, harm you. And the question is, if you eat a lot of blueberries, uh, and a lot of walnuts, a lot of whole grain, all this antioxidant-rich food, will that actually also increase the time you need to use your lamp for, to get the same effect. I don't know, but it, it's possible. And we know that some food can actually protect against the sunburn. So if you eat a lot of fish, you can actually be twice as long out in the sun as if you don't eat fish. Chocolate has the same effect. It's quite amazing, actually. So maybe you need to have a longer um, session every day if you eat healthy. I would like to see you study on it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I would think along the same lines of exercise even though it's a little different if you eat healthy i mean do you require more exercise to get a hormetic response or is it just if you expose your mitochondria to light on a consistent basis does it get stronger does it require 
a larger dose to meet the same response when you initially began? Um, I think that's another question. Like, do you build up a tolerance, so to speak, just like exercise? Well, when you start exercising, maybe you can only do the 45 pound bar to bench press, but over several months, all of a sudden you're, you're putting up a hundred pounds with your bench press. I don't think there's anything to indicate it. I think it's very similar over time, your, your dosage for red light therapy. I don't know if you have any information or if you have any research to show that there's a, a tolerance buildup, but do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I believe you're on to something here because um, biologically it would be like a normal response um, to get some kind of, of tolerance. Um, that, that's like, it's like exercising. And it's quite similar in one way because exercising produces radicals. And we know that if you eat a lot of antioxidants, for example, vitamin C, that's the classical one. If you have to eat like one gram of vitamin C before exercising, you will get less uh, um, these uh, sore muscles, these uh, late onset uh, muscle soreness. And uh, is that good or bad? Probably both, because you can probably exercise uh, quite soon again, but still you didn't really get this uh, the hormetic uh, stressor effect and, and the, the, the rebuild of the muscle is probably less. So uh, it's quite interesting and it's quite hard and very complex. So I, I believe that um, if you know about this technology, about red light, you can probably go by your heart a lot. You can feel when it's enough and when it's good. It's like being out in the sun. I, I'm not lying, laying on the beach for three hours. Uh, I'm going to be sick. I know that. Um, but for 20 minutes, 100% sound like this. It's just beautiful and wonderful. I love it. So I can feel in my body. And I think you have the same possibility to actually have this intuitive, um, like this feeling about when is it enough. Um, but of course, there are some people, they have maybe some pain. They want to, to fight uh, and uh, maybe they use it too much then because uh, it feels good at the moment, but it becomes too much for the body. So it's hard to say that it works for everybody. But I think that for most people, uh, you can use the, your uh, intuition. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this this conversation is getting a little nuanced, talking about potential tolerance buildup with the mitochondria or other cells, and then uh, skin tone and skin thickness. They all play a role, but I think in the end, I think you and I are in agreement that as long as you're getting exposed to red light therapy on a consistent basis, you know, at at a reasonable dosage or, or a reasonable amount of time, good things are going to happen. These little nuances are maybe maybe a little too detailed especially for people ju that just want to use it and you know get get their health benefits but th they're just some nitty-gritty details i think us sci science nerds think about and if there are potential repercussions of course we can we can report that to the masses but in general i think it's just most important for people to be using their red light therapy yeah. uh, devices on a consistent basis more than anything but i think this is this is kind of a good segue into to vitamin d uh we we've mentioned it a couple of times about the effect that it has potentially, I guess more so the sun's role, the more north you get, the the ramifications of that from a health perspective. But you brought up in our first conversation, I think it was last week or so, Frederick, about this this kind of new thought process or information and research on vitamin D. And I didn't get a chance to read over those articles you sent over, but can you kind of explain this new perspective or this new potential role that vitamin D may or may not play, and then the role red light therapy may play into vitamin D? Certainly. Um, and when I, when I was meeting um, this doctor back in, in 2019, as I told you about, my, my first uh, encounter with red light therapy, he actually uh, told me that his, his belief was that um, vitamin D 
doesn't have many biological effects. It has, it has some, like calcium absorption. Or some, some things actually does, we know that. But a lot of the things that you say that vitamin D does, like increasing insulin sensitivity, bone mass, uh, all these different things, the immune system, cancer, cardiovascular disease, all the things, it's actually not vitamin D in itself. It is actually more that vitamin D is a marker for sun exposure. And I said, but how can you say that? I mean, I, as the nutritionist, um, eat vitamin D every day um, during the dark uh, time of the year. I, I recommend it to people to eat it. So it was like shaking my foundations in some way. And I was a little bit shocked, but he showed me a study. Uh, it was published back in 2014. And it's like a meta-analysis of meta-analysis. So it's a big, big, uh, huge impact when it comes to science. And that actually showed that people with deficiency of vitamin D, it doesn't help them much to eat it. It helps maybe in total mortality. It had some effects, but not the effects that would you, you would expect, actually. It doesn't protect against diabetes type 2, for example. It doesn't protect against Alzheimer's, all these things. This was 2014, and I was thinking, okay, he comes to me five years after this study was published and showing this to me. I want me to change my view completely when it comes to vitamin D. They actually don't but need it per se. We need the sun. So I didn't really believe that. I believe a lot of things instead. But I think if that was true, uh, then the whole idea of vitamin D, the whole health community would some way pick this up and we would know about it. It's five years. It's a lot of long time. But now um, in August 2022, uh, there was a new study, even bigger. I mean, it's like six years, eight years after the first one. Uh, and it's the same conclusion. Of course, it's good to have vitamin D levels in your body. You should have enough. But it, it won't help you when it comes to these serious diseases. The only thing that helps you is the light itself. And, and maybe you can actually publish uh, the links to the reports so people can read themselves. Yeah, we'll, we'll provide all those links for the research articles in, in the show notes for sure. Because some researchers now, they're into this. They're, they're trying to, to change people's view and make us to understand, because it's not about belief, it's about uh, facts here, that vitamin D is important, but it's not as important as we thought. The sun or the light, red light, is, is more important. But then I have a question um, for you and maybe for, for myself as well, because we don't really know if red light therapy is uh, 100% substitute for the sun, because there are so many different uh, valence there. We know that, that uh, red and red light activates the chromophores in a way the other wavelengths doesn't. But may maybe um, it's best to get the sun and red light therapy uh, in a mixture. Uh, that's what I'm doing myself. Uh, I was talking to you today. We had a, a bit of luck in Sweden. We had sun. <laughs> so I was out in the sun. I was sitting there just soaking it up for like 20 minutes or so. And I want to do that after my red light therapy session because I think I need both. Science shows now, I think that we should realize that the light is so important to us. That's actually what is uh, keeping us healthy all year round. So is the takeaway from these research articles showing, I think to your point, not only does it not play as big of a role in, in certain health conditions, like you said, immune system building bone and, and whatnot, and that supplementation really isn't worth it? Is that what the research is showing? And then on top of that, it's the sun that ultimately moves the needle from a health and wellness perspective? Um, it depends on what you mean, if it's worth it to take the pills. If you can afford it, if you, if you, have, if you have the vitamin D pills, I would take them anyway, because uh, they show that you get a lower mortality. 
independent of, of reason. So that's a good thing. So I, I try to treat it. And I, I usually, I use, I use a lot of this blood testing. I, I, I'm really into it as well. So I test my blood every six months to see where, where I'm at. Uh, and I can see that in, in February of the long winter, uh, my levels are actually really, really low. It's like 50 nanomoles per, per liter of blood. And that, that's like the level for deficiency. So I need to eat it just to be on the safe side. Um, and that means that I, I use it, I, I eat maybe like normal daily allowance every day, and not more, but that's, that's enough. But I still eat it, and I, I use my red lamp as well. So I think I think you need both, actually. But I, I don't think you should just eat your vitamin D pills during the dark um, time of the year and think you're fine, because you're probably not. <laughs> you know, agreed on that point. And then also, another question I had was, does the research indicate, because I think you and I kind of went over this in our previous conversations, because you asked me, do I think that red and near-infrared light has any direct impact on vitamin D? And I was always under the impression that you need UVB, ultraviolet B irradiation to synthesize vitamin D. And are you seeing any research in any, any of these articles indicating that red and near-infrared may have some sort of impact, whether it's direct or indirect, on, on vitamin D levels? Actually not. I've been looking for it. Um, but you need the UV light. Um, and I think UV light is quite cool, actually, because that's the hormetic effect, because it damages your cells, but still you, you will get to, your DNA will be repaired and so on. So I think a little bit of UV light is good for you. And actually, a new Swedish study showed that people who, who, who actually are most exposed to sun, they have like 3% risk of getting melanoma, skin cancer. And the people who are at least exposed to sun had like 1.8% risk during this 15-year-old period. So it's a higher risk when you have a lot of UV light, but the risk of dying of the disease is much lower by, by the sun-bathing people. So it's quite interesting. Mm. So if you want to survive skin cancer, you should probably sunbathe a lot, use a lot of, like, have a lot of sun radiation on you. I think that's that's pretty <laughs> that is counterintuitive and that'd be kind of tough to make people believe because I know a lot of people like those that live down in the southern states or Hawaii it's like sun protection is a huge thing because of skin cancer but what you're saying is well combat that actually with sun exposure well, I'm not saying it. it it's the research. The research, from, right, right. Yeah, from Sweden, yeah. And it, it's actually a big study. For, I think it's 29,000 Swedish uh, women living in the south of Sweden. And it, it's a big, very, very well done study. Um, Is that the one from so, 2014? It's a new one coming now. Oh, okay. So it's, it's just maybe three months ago. Uh, and I think it's the same subject, it's the same thing, but now they know even more. So it's really, really interesting. But I, I don't say that that's the truth. I say that's the part of the truth. And we know that if you get the sun, you will also get the red light, you will also get the near-infrared light, you will get more of this uh, cytochrome C oxidase, you will get more of the apoptosis, uh, the body will take care of cancer cells and so on. So there is some logic behind it. Um, and I, I, if I had cancer, if I was like post-cancer, I would, I would probably go more for the sun strategy, actually, sunbathe a lot, actually. But that's just for me. So everybody has to do their own thinking here, <laughs> because sure. it's very complicated. Are you aware of the preconditioning potential and power of red light therapy relative to sunburns? That if you precondition no. your skin with red light prior to going outside, you'll be able to be exposed to the sunlight for a longer period of time before you get that urethemic response, that redness, 
prior to that sunburning experience. So that, that's kind of something to take into consideration. If you're doing your sunbathing, do red light therapy first, then go outside, and you should be able to be outside longer before getting that redness in your skin before the sunburn comes into full full effect. I've heard about this, but but not uh, as explained here. It's really interesting. And I this summer, uh, it was quite nice summer in Sweden. I actually bought a boat. <laughs> it was an American boat, the Sea Ray, a small one. So I was out a lot on the lakes here, and I never got burned. Um, and I used the red light therapy. So maybe that was like this, uh, um, my, my experience of it. I didn't think about it, but uh, Interesting. It, it struck me. I was never burnt. And you know how it is on the lake. I mean, you get hours of, of sun. Yeah. So that's just some food for thought. And then, uh, of course, on top of that, taking in some astaxanthin that has some skin burn negating effects as well. So I think combining red light therapy and some astaxanthin prior to going outside mm-hmm. could be a pretty powerful one-two punch there. Well, Frederick, what can we expect from this book? When is it going to be out? Where can people get it once it's released? Is it going to be on Amazon or, or where can they look for it? I signed with the HarperCollins Nordic. So it's an American publisher, but their Nordic office. I haven't actually signed for the American market or so, but I, I, I believe it's going to be released there because otherwise it would be a bit strange. Otherwise, I'm going to just translate it myself, like I did with the glycemic index book, you know, back in the early 2000s. So I think that it's going to be out. And if it follows the same path as in Sweden, it's going to be out in August uh, next year. Okay. So that, that's the goal, both in English and, and Swedish. Excellent. Yeah, you'll have to keep me posted as that time near so I can let everyone know in my audiences. Give us a little breakdown of your company that you have, uh, your red light therapy devices over there in, in Sweden. So people that are interested can look for it and learn more about it. Yeah, and when I realized that this is something really important, and I, I, I work with health, that's my that's my goal in life. I want people to, to feel well, to feel better. I realized I need to do something about this. I need to start to marketing those panels myself because nobody's doing it in Sweden now. And maybe maybe they have in, in the whole Europe two or three companies. But I think in the States, you have like 20 companies. And the, the population of Europe is probably almost the same as in America. So I think we, we, have, we are like five years behind you. So somebody has to do it. And, and uh, I think I, I'm the guy to do it because I, I really uh, enjoy this. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I, read it about, I read about it every day. I, I write my book every day. So I'm really living this now. Just like two weeks ago, we launched a website where we sell uh, the Nutri-Light, Nutrients in Nutrition uh, and Light, because you get the same effects through this light as you get through healthy food. That's the idea. Probably our products are a bit like yours. So I think you don't have to, to buy them from Sweden. I think yours are, are perfectly fine. So uh, actually, we're not competitors. <laughs> I think we're, we are working together in this. Right, exactly. Um, but but we, we have panels uh, similar to yours. Like I, I got my small one here. I see you have yours behind yeah. you. Uh, nice. You yep. have it uh, at the side. Uh, but the panel I use is the big one. It is uh, 1,500 watts. Full body, yeah. Um, yeah, full body. And the plans uh, next year to actually develop really, really nice designed uh, lamps as well. The Scandinavian design, like you know, the panel of sound, the speakers, this kind of feeling to it. So that, that's the goal, uh, to make it effective and, and beautiful. Yeah. With that being said, where do you see the future of red light therapy moving kind of as a market or as a use case? How do you see, because right now we have a lot of panels, right? We have a lot of handheld devices. Where do you see red light therapy going from here as far as potential use cases or technology? Because right now, I don't know if you saw the BioLite we just released, the Matrix, which is a full body yeah, red light yeah. therapy mat. So I think I'm trying to figure out ways where people can integrate red light therapy 
without necessarily having to set aside time. Maybe they want to do their yoga or stretching or just read their book or sit down on their couch and get red light therapy done at the same time. So I'm trying to find ways where there's less friction for people having to set aside time or having to necessarily stand in front of it, although I know some people do enjoy it. So I'm just trying to find different avenues where people can integrate it into their lives without necessarily having to set aside time. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, where do you see the future of red light therapy going? It's going to be diverse. It's going to be the matrix on one end, something you can use for a long time and have this like, like a comfortable product. You can lie on it. You can have it close to your body for a longer time. All the way to this specific products, like for this transcranial radiation, these kind of things. It's really high-tech, more like medical devices. So it's going to be everything. So we're going to have probably one product for each body part in the future. But I like what you're actually talking about in your podcast. It's low and slow. When you're cooking, then you're very safe. You will not get out from this sweet spot. So I think it's very, it's a nice start. And I enjoy sitting in my lap myself. So I like to spend 20 minutes there. It's yep. no problem. Um, so I think that's uh, to have it as a, a partner in life, so to speak, um, this lamp that they're with you, you can bring bring them on, on trips and so on. Um, it's going to be like bringing a toothbrush. It's going to be part of your life, I think. Um, but then there are so many different products you can think of. I mean, maybe some wearable that has a really low effect, but it's on 12, 12 hours at the time, maybe. I don't know. There can be so many different uh, types of, of products here. And some products actually could be used for waking people up. I know there are studies on people with hearing impairments. They can't hear their wake-up phone or clock, alarm clock, but they can actually sense if you have this light diode in the armpit. But when you turn it on, they wake up because there are so many different sensors in the, in the skin that will feel if it's light or not, dark and so on. So there are so many different ways to use light. And I'm quite intrigued when it comes to the blue light also, yellow light, green light. Um, what do they do, these wavelengths? They're not going to go into the chromophores and, and acti activate them, but they do something. And maybe in the future, we're going to have this uh, really white light with all different wavelengths mixed together. So maybe that's the future after, after all. You never know. And do you know, actually, there was uh, this uh, guy, Kellogg, um, who invented the cornflakes. He started this uh, in the early 1900s. And he was using all this, the old Edison light bulbs, just uh, reading, reading people. And it happened things. It was like really, really early in the science. So it was not really good studies, but he could see effects uh, on the people's uh, well-being. Uh, so the white light, the, the normal light is also effective in some way, but you have to really use it in an effective way. And today you could make panels that were amazing. But I still believe that um, this red light and infrared light, that's the best we have today. But future studies may show more and more complete picture. Yeah, I think even now we're still just scratching the surface of the potential of red light therapy, both its potential use cases and then applications or different devices like you're talking about. It's basically well, your imagination is your, your limit, limiting factor. Like to your point, I could see one specifically for the gut, for the head, uh, for different body parts. Maybe you want to treat specific joints you know, the heart, liver, kidneys. I mean, as long as light can get there, it's going to affect the mitochondria. So there, there's a lot of potential to be had. It's just a matter of the research continuing to churn out and prove all these different ways that we can use it. And then just someone being able to develop something that can indeed benefit those areas. For example, the brain, like to your point, if we can develop some sort of device 
I mean, it's the middle of the football season, American football over here, and concussions are always a big topic. I think it's not going to be far away from a time where one of those guys gets a concussion, and the first thing that they're going to be having on their head is some sort of near-infrared device to help accelerate that healing process from concussions. You know, things like that where I think we're years and years away from it, but I think it is coming as the research continues to come out and prove if there's enough research out there, you're not going to be able to turn away or it's almost going to be negligence if you're a medical director on a sports team or or otherwise, and you're not treating someone's brain with with near infrared post concussion, so, so there's, there's going to be a lot of use cases coming forward. And, and that's uh, uh, quite interesting because you can only reach uh, inside the, the skull with near infrared, but if you actually um, use uh, red light, you can actually reach it into the neck. So you can actually use both uh, uh, wavelengths exactly. as well. Yep. But I read actually that the San Francisco 49ers, they have these recovery rooms with the red light therapy. Uh, yeah, I don't that? know what that looks like or what how they even use it, but that's that is something that uh, Juve promotes that they have a red light therapy room with the 49ers. But outside of that, I don't know how it's used or how it's set up or, or stuff like that. But but it's interesting mm-hmm. regardless that there are sports teams that are at least interested in potentially utilizing it. And that's a problem, actually. Once again, there are people mailing me almost every day. And now it was like this really, really famous Swedish athlete they're reaching out and wanted help and so on. And I read about red light therapy train, and he never got back. <laughs> so he thought it was too good to be true. This guy is crazy now. So, so he just refused to, to go further with this. So that's a problem in Sweden. We don't, we don't know about this. Um, but like in five or ten years, everybody will know. Um, and I think that both this systemic effect and the local effect together, that, that's, that's the magic here. Because there's so much injuries, you know. They, uh, that's the biggest problem in, in this, uh, these top athletes. Exactly. Is, is it just Sweden specifically that's slow or behind with, with the red light therapy? Or is it Europe as a whole that's a little behind the trend, so to speak? I think Europe as a whole, uh, interesting enough, uh, the po- Polish uh, scientists are quite uh, good. I mean, there are a lot of studies published um, and a lot of things going on there. But otherwise, I think it's, it's quite, uh, uh, well, there's a Czech company that, that's quite good, I know, a British company, but otherwise, lack of knowledge. They don't know about it. So th- that's my goal now, to make them know about it, because uh, everybody yeah. needs it. And of course, uh, go to Asia. I mean, go to India, for example. There's so many people there needing this, because they're have this uh, air pollution, they don't get the sunlight, they, they usually have these long sleeves and uh, long trousers the inside all the day. And so they're big, huge markets, and, and a lot of people that would, would really benefit from this. Yeah, how do you tap into that market, or how do you get them to buy into it? I mean, is, the, is there like a cultural thing there, or is it just, again, a lack of knowledge and exposure to, to red light therapy? That's actually a good question. I don't know. I, I know that HarperCollins has uh, the Indian division. So hopefully the book will be released there. But I know that the other books there look, look about this uh, astrology, these kind of things. So I have to compete against that. So we'll see what happens if my book is released or not. But that's a huge market and they really need yeah. it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what you do, Frederick, for for your people over there in Europe. I hope you know you continue to plug away and get the word out w- with your track record. I have no doubt you'll you'll get that accomplished. And of course, if you need anything from me, if I can help in any way, just let me know. But let people, let the audience know how they can, where they can go to learn more about and from you uh, after this podcast episode. Sure. Beside the book, of course, um, it's a bit to head. Um, we also have Neutralite.se with, with the with articles from me. Uh, but everything is not translated yet. Because uh, as I told you, we're not planning to sell 
to America right now. Right. We just just uh, Sweden to start with. But the book, I think that's uh, that's the next thing um, actually, and they're going to probably get some some news and uh, probably some quite interesting anecdotes and so on. So I hope they will be willing to read it. Yeah, just keep me posted when when that time nears, and I'll be sure to let let the audience know here. Uh, do you have a working title yet? Yeah, yeah actually, I have. Um, it, it is uh, Red Light Therapy: The Unicorn of Health. Because it's like a unicorn. You tell yeah. about it, nobody believes it. But then if you can catch it, it's there. And it's, it's I love it. I love it. <laughs> the unicorn of health. Man, that could be the, the name of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Will you be my guest there? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be your first guest. Great. No, that's Great. cool, Frederick. I, and again, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And I love what you're doing. Hopefully someday we can meet in person. I'll, I'll be over there in Italy in about a month, but regardless, maybe sometime in the future, our paths will cross. Surely. I'm going to the States as well. It was a long time now. It was before the pandemic, but I usually go to the food fairs in, in Florida and then also in, in Los Angeles and so on. And I don't know, probably can fly to Montana in like two hours or from Los Angeles. You know, Los Angeles is, yeah, it'd be like two, two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Not that bad. Not bad at all. No, if you love Sweden, you'd love Montana, at least Western Montana with all the mountains, very similar territory, I think, but I would love to come visit Sweden as well. So you yeah, have a standing invitation, <laughs> but, but come, please come in summer. We can, we can take a trip Absolutely. and enjoy the sun. <laughs> Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, well, again, Frederick, appreciate your time. And I know the audience, just like myself, we've learned a lot from you and are excited to see uh, this book come out next year. So uh, again, I'll keep people posted, but Uh, For Frederick Paulin, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off of the Red Light Report, and you guys have a fantastic week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop in our YouTube channel, BioLite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.